excited for the music this Sunday. The last one in the series, and we made it. Hello, everyone. Good morning. It's so good to see you. My name is Lance Marshall. I'm the senior pastor here at First Fort Worth. Before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message, I want to say words of gratitude. Uh, Clint, our normal worship leader, is on vacation this week and next week, so I want to thank Allison for stepping up and leading. I want to thank Kagan for stepping up as well. Uh, I want to thank Peyton for filling in on the drums. It's so good to have you again. I want to thank all the folks who are part of our tech team, connecting us here in person and all around the world, but probably Fort Worth online. I want to thank all the people who are doing ministry in our youth building, who are upstairs in ministry with adults and kids right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our ministry partners. And if you're looking for your place to be a ministry partner here, then let us know. We'd love to find a place where your gifts can help you come alive in service. And so uh, a couple things I want to point out as we get started here today. So COVID's been weird, right? That's the whole message. Thank y'all for being here. I, I appreciate it. That's the answer. We're going to get out early today. We're going to beat the Baptists, the Lubies. Um, so yeah, COVID's been weird. And, and one of the things that's really struck me, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but I don't have a lot of fresh ideas, so I'm repeating it. And that is, I've been really surprised at the things that have just changed in my life for no real good reason. Just things are different. I mean, it's been a really different season and it's made some significant changes in my life. Like one that is not really consequential, but is pretty meaningful is like when we entered into COVID, I was a really big NBA fan. I talked about my love for the NBA in sermons a lot. And, and for some reason, I just kind of like stopped really following the NBA. There's no good reason. It just changed. And then, like so many people, I started watching Drive to Survive on Netflix, and I got hooked on F1. And so now, do I, not only do I not watch the NBA, but I'm at church on a Sunday just hoping that no one ruins the Hungarian Grand Prix results for me before I can get home, right? That's weird. That's, that's just a big, different change. Um, one of the big changes in my life has uh, come, I'm like a barbecue guy now. That wasn't a thing before. I'm like, but that's also, that's not too special. I mean, I'm middle-aged and I'm in Texas, so brisket's going to happen. But that's a change. I'm like, I'm like on, I've got like, I'm subscribing. I have like my favorite guys who teach you how to smoke on YouTube. Like that's a change. And one of the biggest change in my life and over the course of starting in the pandemic has to do with music, with music. And I've always liked music, always enjoyed music, always gone to concerts and uh, bought albums back when that was a thing that people did. And I always liked music, but I only listened to music a little bit. When I was just driving to work or maybe cooking in the kitchen or something, instead I was doing podcasts or sports talk radio or stuff like that. Listen to music a little bit, but for some reason over the course of the pandemic, maybe it was just what was going on in the news or maybe it was just a need for relief or just something else in life. But I really started listening to music a lot more and getting really into music. And then I started playing music a lot more. I've always had a guitar and played a little bit, but I started taking it a lot more seriously. I'm even back in like regular week lessons now, taking it, you know, practicing like a lot. And I just, I'm really loving music more all of a sudden. And I can't really explain why. One of the things you'll notice is I even sit in with the gathering band about once every four to six months. And the only reason I do that, one, there's a couple of reasons I only play about every four to six months. One is because I feel a little self-conscious. It's a little too look at me to like have the guitar and then be like, hey, everybody, let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> so I'm a little self-conscious about that. And then I'm also just like, I don't know if I'm good or not. And uh, no one in the band is trustworthy enough to tell me the truth. Um, <laughs> because I'll, pl- I'll, like, I'll play afterwards and I'll be like, guys, how was that? And they're all like, that was really good. You did really good. But they don't say it like that. 
they say it two octaves too high. I'm like, guys, how was that? How'd I do? And they're like, you did really good. You did really good. That was really good. So, you know, four to six months seems about right. You know, if I could go back and do junior high and high school over again, I would do a lot of things different. I would, I would make a lot of changes. But one of the biggest ones that I would make if I could go back was I would redo a decision that I had to make between 8th and ninth grade. The school district in which I grew up, if you were going um, into ninth grade, you had to make a decision on what you wanted your kind of big extracurricular commitment to be. And in junior high, I played club soccer, and then I was in the band at school and appreciated them both a lot. And uh, in band, I played an instrument called a euphonium. For those of you who aren't familiar, a euphonium uh, sounds like a trombone, but looks like a little tuba. And it's been perfectly designed by scientists to be the size and the shape and weight to ensure that a sixth grader has no friends on the bus. <laughs> and so I played the euphonium. That's not a real flashy instrument, but you know, it's a low brass. It's important in the course of the ensemble. And I really enjoyed band. And I really enjoyed soccer. And you had to choose when you went into high school, which one are you going to do? Are you going to do band or are you going to do, are you going to do athletics? And uh, I chose, I chose uh, soccer, hilariously, because for, I thought, like, varsity was going to happen, and it didn't. Um, I ended up being a great contributor to the journalism team, though. But so I left band. I left band, and I, I hadn't played music with anybody else since, until in the pandemic I needed to start filling in some guitar parts. Uh, I hadn't played music with anybody. And I had forgotten the joy of just being a part of playing music with other people. And if you haven't done it before, there's just something really special. It doesn't matter what part you have, but there's just something about being in tune and in time with what the band is doing, with what the orchestra is doing, with what just you and your friend who are singing are doing. There's something about being in tune and in time that is so powerful and so meaningful and so special And what I want to talk to you about today is kind of an abstract spiritual concept that can be a little little hard to wrap your mind around. And the best metaphor that I can give you is what it's like to be in tune and in time. Maybe if you haven't played music, maybe if it's been dance or something like that, or maybe there's something collaborative you've done with other people, but what it is to be in tune and in time with what go, what's going on and how special and powerful that feels and how great it is to be a part of something like that. So that's the, that's the spirit I want to try to connect you with, and it has to go with our scripture reading and our message. And so we've got the Lego theme. This is the last Sunday of the Legos. We're in a sermon series right now called um, Building Blocks of Faith and the Key Pieces of Faith. And uh, I should have remembered it now by now. <laughs> Excuse me, key pieces of faith. And I'm the senior pastor here now. I've been preaching for 10 years at this church. I've been teaching for 10 years at this church, and yet it still feels like a, a transition time, like a time of new beginnings. And so this first sermon series, as the senior pastor, I've been talking about the key pieces of faith in my own story, my own journey, and how the building blocks of faith really fell into place and built on top of each other and built me into the Christian and the man and the pastor that I am today to give you an understanding of my ministry, of, of how I lead the church, and then also asking you to reflect on what are your key pieces of faith that have fallen into place over time, or maybe what are the pieces that have yet to fall into place, and maybe identifying and naming those. We talked in the very beginning of the series about my surprise to find out that as a young man who had been exposed to church a little bit growing up, but 
you know, had never really been a part of it or taken it seriously. And my young adulthood, post-college, was extremely surprised in a time of discomfort and alienation and just feeling unsettled in the world to discover that Scripture and the people that surrounded it and the church that surrounded it and the religion that surrounded it actually had something to say to me, which was a huge surprise. Couldn't believe that that was something that was relevant to my modern life, to my skeptical life, to my educated life. I just was blown away by that. I was surprised to learn this next key piece of faith, that it's not just about what happens on the other side of your funeral, but what happens in this side of your funeral, right? It's about the life that you live here and about making your life into the kind of life that you were meant to have. I was really surprised to see that it had something to do with what happened when things are at their hardest or at their worst or their most difficult, that the actual grace and power and presence of Christ was still with you. I was blown away to find out that as I was doing my best and becoming a disciple and trying the hardest, that it was actually uh, a faith that, that reached out to me when I was at my worst and when I was failing and I wasn't living up to my own expectations and my own efforts that, that was built into who Jesus is, reaching out to us when we're falling down the most or struggling the most. He, he meets us right where we are and, and gives us what we need to, to come back to him. That's one of the things we've talked about over the course of the series. You can catch up on any of those on the podcast or the recordings if you find yourself on a road trip. I want to talk about this last key piece of faith this week. That was this really big key element that fell into place for me. And I, uh, I want to do so with an honest caveat. I want to give you an honest caveat here. And every single one of the stories that I've shared previously, of the reflections that I shared previously, has been a part of my journey of realizing how much better life has gotten as I became a person of faith, as I became a follower of Christ, as I became a more convicted and more committed Christian. My life kept getting better and better and better, and I kept finding more good news and more power and more peace and more security and all of those great things. Um, I want to be honest now, particularly for those of you who are just like kicking the tires on this whole Jesus thing, right? I want to be honest with you that one part of my life has gotten significantly worse since becoming a Christian. One part of my life has become significantly harder and much more difficult and much more trying. And if I had never become a Christian, if I had never joined a church, if I had never become a follower of Jesus, this part of my life would actually be much, much easier. And it has to do with suffering. And specifically, it has to do with the suffering of others. So key and part and parcel to this whole Christian thing, right, is the idea of community. And We can read scripture on our own, we can pray on our own, we can worship on our own, but at the end of the day, faith is something that we do together. From the very earliest moments when Jesus was calling his disciples and, and spending time with them and shaping them into community, he was doing so that we would understand what the body of Christ is like. And it's something that we do together. It's one of the reasons why we worship together, why we learn together. It's one of the reasons why we just come together to eat casseroles, right? By the way, Mike didn't point out, y'all, there were 90 people at last week's potluck, right? I mean, just get a, bring, get a bucket of chicken and come on. Like, it's good, y'all. Y'all can cook. So one of the reasons that we're just together so much is that's part and parcel of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Community is just baked in. It's who we are. It's who God is. It's who God made us to be. And one of the things about my life 
that is significantly harder and more difficult because I am a Christian will also be significantly and harder about your life if you're a Christian and you're actually doing the church thing and the faith thing and the community thing is that you will become deeply plugged into and aware of and connected to the suffering of other people. Does that make sense? If you're in a small group, if you're in a small group and it's, it's eight people and you meet together every single week, all of a sudden you will be aware of the deep dysfunction that lives in other people's families. And you will become aware of the stress in other people's marriages. And you'll become aware of the difficulty with other people's children. And you'll become aware of the echoes of child abuse and neglect that echo throughout generations. And you'll become more and more and more aware of the suffering of people that are around you. And if you just go through life on your own, and just focused about yourself, or maybe just a key group of people with whom you invest your life, there's only so many people who can get cancer. There's only so many people who can lose their jobs. There's only so many people who can have a spouse walk out on them after 40 years of marriage, right? If you go through your life with just a small little group of people, there's only so many people who can get hurt and suffer and die and lose. But if you actually do this Jesus thing, if you actually do this church thing, if you actually do this living in community thing, then all of a sudden your network of connections becomes incredibly, incredibly, incredibly large. And y'all, at this point in my life, every single day there is someone in the hospital. Every single day there's someone whose marriage is falling apart. Every single day there is someone who is relapsing into addiction. Every single day, there is someone who's contemplating whether they can live one more. And that's the case because I am choosing to live my life this way, in deep connection with other people, living my life as a part of the church, living my life in solidarity and connection with other people. How? How can you get through the day how can you get up and face the next moment? How can you endure not only the suffering and the difficulty in your life, but the suffering and difficulty in the lives of the people that you know and the people that they know and the people that they know as that network becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger? If you're considering doing this thing, if you're considering doing this Christian living in community, connecting with other people and loving them all thing, you need an answer to that or you just can't make it. That's where I want to jump into today's scripture reading. So we're in the book of Romans. And for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, the book of Romans is written by a man named Paul. His, he was originally named Saul, and he was a uh, Jewish follower of a very strict set of rules. And he was actually persecuting early Christians. He was actively seeking them out and killing them because he saw them as Jewish heretics. And then he had an encounter with the risen Christ who changed everything about his life, changed his name to Paul. And then this man who had been killing Christians actually becomes the foremost theologian, explainer of the faith and establisher of early Christian churches. It's an incredible change. And the vast majority of the New Testament is actually written by him and a number of letters that he's writing to a whole bunch of different churches. And he's writing in the book of Romans to a bunch of, uh, of Romans. That's why we call it that. He's writing to early Christians in Rome. And this would be a pretty small group, right? There is no first church Rome at this time. The, the church in Rome is probably about half the size of this section of the room. But he's writing to that community of people, and he's got a whole bunch of different reasons. And one of the things that he's trying to do is explain these big arcing themes of faith. And one of the things that he's trying to make clear is you need to understand that everybody— Everybody everywhere lives in slavery to sin. 
just the gap between who you are and who you could have been, right? Everybody lives in that gap. Everybody experiences the gap of who they are and who they could have been if they had followed God perfectly from the very beginning. But the truth is they never had a chance. Everybody lives in the midst of that gap, and everybody has been offered the grace, the power, the presence, the promises of Christ Jesus to make away with that gap and actually for the first time in their entire life live in actual, real, and true freedom. Actual, real, and true freedom. The kind of freedom that comes from being seen, acknowledged, forgiven, protected, and provided for. You get this actual, real, powerful, and true freedom. That's what he's talking about. But there's this obvious caveat. Yes, this is incredible. Yes, this is good news. Yes, we are seeing healing. Yes, things are happening. Yes, there are miracles taking place. Yes, there is good news. Yes, yes, yes. And also, there is still so much suffering. And also, there is still so much hurting. And the more we get connected to other people, and the more that we live in life, in deep community, and the more that we form bonds through this power and grace, the more we're suffering the slings and arrows, not only of our own difficulties and struggles, but of those around us. Paul, what does Jesus have to say about that? That's where our scripture reading is speaking here. It's the reality of suffering, and not only our own, but those of the people that we love. And Paul's writing, in verse 18 here, he jumps in. He says, I believe that our present suffering, our present suffering, what we're experiencing right now, the difficulties of life. And remember, they live in a life where you just can't get enough calories to get through the day. They live in a life under the subjugation of a foreign empire. They live in a life where a fever is deadly. They live in that kind of suffering, and even that kind of suffering, he says, is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us. And then he says, if you think this is just about you and me and our church and the people that you love, if you think that's the whole scope of what God is doing through Christ, the redemption, the restoration, the healing, and the providing, you need to realize how much bigger God's saving project is. The whole creation waits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it, but in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. All of creation has been made free. All of creation has been made free, he says, which explains not only individuals' moral choices, but also explains cancer and tragedy and decay and falling apart. And all of that is being summed up, brought together, and healed in what Christ is doing. I promise you, he says. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. And it's not only the creation. We ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first crop of the harvest, also groan inside as we wait to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. All of creation is groaning under the weight of the reality that things aren't as they should be. Children should not be made to suffer this way. Innocent people should not be made to suffer this way. People should not be lost in this way. People should not be hungry in this way. People should not be left behind in this way. The earth, the planet, everything should not be suffering. And all of it is groaning out to God and saying, how much longer? The truth is, if you live this life of deep connection, 
You can't help but be aware of it. Not only in your life, but in the life of all the people around you. It just is. It just is. And you have to have the hope that makes it worth getting up one more day. And so he says, We ourselves who have the Spirit, as the first crop of the harvest, also grown inside as we wait to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. If you're hurting, it's okay. If you're suffering, it's okay. Even in the midst of Christ's grace, if you still feel tears rolling down your face, it is okay. But know that we were saved in hope. If we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. If we see what we hope for, that's not hope, it's just there. If we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. When Paul's writing to this group of people who are suffering and struggling, and they're asking, how can it be true? How can it be true that the grace of Christ is in our life? How can it be true that I'm feeling this power and this presence? How can it be true that we're experiencing miracles? How can it be true that I'm different, and my spouse is different, and my kids are different, and life is better? How can that be true, and how can it also be true that people are dying, and innocents are suffering, and children are being left behind? How can both of those things be true? Jesus promises us that where he goes, he makes a place for us also. Jesus promises us prior to the crucifixion that this is not the end. Jesus promises us that this is not the end for him. He promises us that this is not the end for us. He promises the work of salvation, redemption, and resurrection is not over yet. The key piece of faith that fell in place for me, and this is, This is the thing that I need to keep going, I need in order to keep going. Is the answer to the question, how can God be good and this be happening to innocent people? How can God be good and this be happening in this world? How can God be good and this be happening to the people that I love? How can God be good and this be happening in the church that I serve? How can God be good and this be happening on our planet? How can God be good and this be happening in our community? How can God be good and this be happening? And what Jesus gives us, and what Paul reminds us of in that story, is the hope, is the promise. Is Christ saying, I'm not done? Is Christ saying, this isn't over? Of Christ saying, yes, it's now and it's also not yet, but I promise you this work of restoration and redemption and resurrection is not yet complete. I promise you it is not over. And that's the source of your hope. And that's the source of your assurance. And that's what helps you get up one more day when everything around you is pulling you back down. The last piece that fell into place for me is in the life of loving and being in community and pastoring and caring for others is the recognition and the assurance that this is not the end. And so what I'm here today to do today, and my goal for you is not to have you just walk out of here and go like, cool. So breakfast? That's not my goal. My goal for you every day is to have a life of faith that has the hope and the assurance and the understanding of what Christ is up to, not only in your life, not only in the lives of the people that you know, but in all of creation. 
My goal for you is to have a faith that doesn't just say, hey, it's okay because heaven. It's not to have the kind of faith that says, hey, I don't care about the environment because God's going to fix it someday. It's not to kind of have the kind of faith that says, yeah, I don't worry about the poor because Jesus says you're always going to have the poor with you, so why not why get too upset about it? My goal is for you to have the kind of faith that has you be a part of the restoring, reconciling, and resurrecting work that Christ is doing in you and in your spouse and in your best friend and in your book club and in the lives of everybody that you love. To be a part of that work, to be sharing in that work, to be oriented in that work, to even in the face of the illness and the suffering and the hurts of all the people that are around you, for you to steadfastly still be the voice and the assurance of the hope that is possible in the middle of that place, because that's what Christ is doing. And when you live that way, and when you act that way, and when you proclaim that truth in the face of a world that is suffering so much, you're not just being a Pollyanna, you're not just being someone who says, look on the bright side, you are cooperating and being alongside with the Christ who is actively reaching and saving all of those people. And the way that it feels like is being in tune and in time with the Christ who is doing that work. When you live that way, when you hope that way, when you believe that way, it's not just about seeing the bright side of things. It's about being a part and living in step with the Christ who is doing that with you. That's when your faith becomes much less about me and how I feel and how I'm doing and much more about the world and what it needs and my place in it. Does that make sense? That last bit, that piece of faith is realizing that everything in Christ's world is arcing towards resurrection and redemption. And we're in the, we're in the now and also in the not yet, but you are a part of it. Not just for your own healing, not just for your own peace, but for the salvation of everything, everywhere around you. And when your faith has that, then you got it. That's the last piece that fell into place for me. That's what lets me get up every day. That's what helps me get up every day and face another day full of people that I love who are flourishing who are succeeding, who are joyous, and who are suffering and broken and losing. Knowing that Christ's not done with me, and Christ's not done with them, and Christ's not done with us yet. So how I want to end today is with a little bit of, uh, a little bit of guidance on what to actually do about this. So I'm going to invite Tim to come up what I want to invite, uh, invite you into is a posture of prayer because it's one thing to like believe this, right? Or to walk away going like, yeah, I think what Lance said was true. But that's not the point. The point is for you to actually start to feel this way. Start to orient your heart this way. Start to actually live your faith this way. And so what I want to invite you to do is to pray with me. Uh, I want to invite you to close your eyes. I want to invite you to get comfortable in your seat. No one's looking at you. I'm looking at you, but don't worry about it. I invite you to take a deep breath, to relax your shoulders, to place your hands in your lap, to open them up, to receive anew the grace and the presence of Christ. And as you breathe deeply, I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, we read in scripture that you're not done with us. 
that you're not finished with us, that you're not finished with the people around us. Lord, you pour out grace upon grace and it changes our hearts. It changes our lives. It shapes us, molds us, reforms us. And Lord, at the same time, our lives are full of suffering, unanswered prayers, broken dreams, lost people. And Lord, the more that we live in connection with your beloved church, we take on the suffering of others, their broken hearts, their losses, their dreams lost, their struggles, their illnesses. Lord, when this weight feels like it's too much to bear, remind us of your hope, your promise of restoration, reconciliation, resurrection, not just for me and the people in this room and the people watching online, but for every atom of your creation. Lord, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what that feels like. We understand that it's true. Lord, help us to live each day, not for ourselves, but for your kingdom. It's trusting in you. It's following you. And it's placing our hope in you. And together we pray the words that you taught us to pray saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.